You're listening to the Ministry Grow Show, brought to you by Reliant Creative, the creative agency for gospel-centered ministries. Find out more at ReliantCreative.org. Welcome to the Ministry Grow Show, a podcast dedicated to helping churches and ministries grow and make more effective impacts for the kingdom of God in an ever-changing digital world. Whether you're building and growing a gospel-centered ministry or leading a church, if you want insight into the strategies, struggles, challenges, and successes of other ministry leaders, you've come to the right place. Welcome back to the Ministry Growth Show. Today on the show, I'm excited to be talking with Curtis Sargent. Uh, He is focused on multiplying disciples and simple churches all around the world. He's plugged into a, a lot of organizations within the multiplication discipleship space. Um, Curtis, thanks for so much for being on the show. Glad to be here. Can you share uh, maybe a quick summary of your experience uh, and the ministries you work with or partner with or run? Um, you seem to be, you know, I've been doing research into discipleship strategies, discipleship tools, um, this spiritual multiplication or multiplying disciples, simple churches uh, stuff, and your name continues to pop up in my research. Uh, You're part of a lot, uh, doing a lot. Can you share a little summary behind what you're currently working in and most excited about? Yeah, well, the, um, the background is that I was actually raised overseas, so uh, my parents were missionaries, and I grew up through elementary school in Taejon, South Korea, and then middle school and high school in Taichung, Taiwan. And while I was in high school, I had a very clear call to working among unengaged people groups, though that term wasn't in use yet, but that's what it was. And... So ever since then, I've sort of focused on the unengaged people group space, and it became quickly evident to me that any type of ministry that I had seen or heard of was not going to get those people groups reached in my lifetime. So Mm -hmm. um, then I sort of developed and stumbled into some of the multiplicative patterns for multiplying disciples and simple churches. And that became, you know, the other side of the coin, so to speak. So I've served in a lot of different places and roles in well over a hundred countries focused on those issues. But these days I sort of have three hats One is MetaCamp, which is just live training and consulting and coaching and mentoring that I do both around the world and here in the U.S. And the second is something called 2414, which is named after Matthew 2414, which says this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And so 2414 is a coalition of practitioners of these multiplicative patterns of ministry. And together we are 
trying to get these types of approaches used in every people group in every place all over the world by the end of 2025. And there are thousands of places and people groups that's already true, but we still have, you know, approximately a hundred thousand additional people groups and places where we'd like to get that started. So that's 2414. And then a Third one is Zume, which is an online introductory training for multiplying disciples in simple churches. And it's available in a lot of different languages. The format is uh, sort of whiteboarding or video scribing. And then it's sort of a self directed or self guided training designed for small groups that takes you through the basics of that. And then one other thing that I don't spend much time on, but is sort of related to the others is a book that I wrote called The Only One. And so all of those in some way or another are sort of related. So how do you find balance between all these because I, I know you, these are your primary focuses right now, but you're partnered with and working with a lot of other ministries doing similar stuff. Like, what does the balance of that look like for you, one man? Right. Well, in a sense, as I mentioned, they're all connected and they all overlap. So really, they're not separate things. They're just different on-ramps to the same thing. Mm. <laughs> so... Medicamp covers the live training. Zume covers some of the online training. The only one, the book, the only one sort of uh, addresses it to a different audience, people who are already believers, but they don't know that they're looking for something more in a sense. Yeah. It's sort of a soft introduction. And then 2414 is a coalition of people, you know, that have started doing this. And so all of those are really just different faces or facets of the same thing. So I don't view it as something that needs to be balanced per se. It's just, you know, whatever opportunities arise through any one of those different platforms or venues. Mm. So they're all kind of just puzzle pieces to the same, to the same end goal. Right. Nice. Now, can you walk us through your um, your definition of discipleship that you're working with and, and using as a starting point for everything that you're doing and everything that we'll talk about today, just to give some, some, context, some context to uh, where you're coming from and how you define these things? Right. Well, I cannot believe I'm saying this. But as far as I can remember, no one has ever asked me that question. And it's a, an extremely important question. <laughs> I think um, so. So I've never formally um, defined discipleship. But if I had to, I think I would just call it the process of growing as a follower of Christ. Now, that's, you know, a pretty simple definition. So if I had to, expand on that. What do I mean by that? 
Um, I would mention things such as equipping every follower of Christ to be self-feeding for starters, so that everyone is not just a consumer, but a contributor. Mm. And so some specific aspects that I would include in that would be interpreting and applying scripture, the various aspects and, and uses of prayer, um, body life, and how we respond to persecution and suffering. Because each of those are, each of them is a, a facet that is addressed pretty, you know, thoroughly in scripture related to how we grow as followers of Christ. And I would also include this idea of what I like to call dual accountability. Um, a lot of people in a, in a popular sense, I think, consider discipleship related to our knowledge right? Our knowledge of scripture, our knowledge of theology or whatever. Um, but I think that's only one of three key aspects. Just as important is the application or obedience to that knowledge. And then also just as important is our stewarding of that in terms of passing it on to others. And all three of those are inextricably intertwined. Each of them is equally important and deserves equal attention. And so I would include that aspect. I think it would also include just this idea of sort of awareness of the gaps. I call it eyes to see where the kingdom isn't. And so in, in that aspect, we would talk about balancing or being aware of two different spheres. One is our network of ongoing relationships. And so that, that would include friends, family, neighbors, coworkers, classmates, you know, all of those people. And then the other aspect would include everybody else, right? The ends of the earth, uh-huh. with an emphasis on the least, the last, and the lost. And so we want to equip every disciple <clears throat> to see, to recognize, to be aware of <clears throat> where the kingdom needs to advance within both of those spheres and then have the, the tools and the equipping to know how to take you know steps to, to do that. So... Um, those would all be, you know, expansions of that definition of the process of growing as a follower of Christ. Yeah, pieces pieces that that make up that definition. So how do um, how do DMM and CPM and T4T and all these different strategies? Are you working from some of those strategies in all the things that you're doing, or are are they similar to what you're doing? Like how there's, there's so many strategies out there that exist. Yeah. How, how do we navigate that? Are, are you working within those? Or are you working outside of those? Walk us through that. Um, yes, I work within those and there's, 
you know, in my mind, I have very clear ideas about in a technical historical sense what the differences are between CPM, T4T, DMM, and so on. But especially with CPM and DMM, it's gotten far out of, (laughs) you know, being able to determine by the terms what people mean because many, many people use those interchangeably. Mm -hmm. And there's enough common DNA that you can see how that could happen. Yeah. So rather than get into the nuances and details, um, I'll just say there's a lot of commonality at the principal level between among all of those approaches and some that you didn't mention. But um, I do work in that in that space, and how they fit into that is those approaches are about equipping every disciple to do that. And interestingly, and though this is almost never talked about, in my mind, the best reason to use these approaches is because of the quality of disciples that are made. Mm. Everybody always talks about the quantity of the fruit which is remarkable when compared to non-multiplicative approaches. So, you know, that's great. But to me, the biggest reason to use the approaches is because the quality of disciples that are made. And a nice benefit that comes from that is the multiplication because you have every disciple making disciples. Mm. So oftentimes the emphasis is put on the incredible fruit that comes out of that. And then maybe that's where some of these strategies get twisted a little bit outside of their original uh, hoped for use case. And they become fruit centered rather than quality focused. Yeah, that's right. And in a sense, that's the reason I wrote that book. The only one it's focusing on that quality issue doesn't really talk much about the quantity of fruit, but um, in that the first third of the book just talks about individual aspects of that. The second third talks about the corporate aspects of that. Mm -hmm. And then the final third gets into some of the tools that we commonly use. Okay. Yeah, I'll have to put that on my uh, docket of books to read, and and we'll we'll link to it in the show notes as well, so people can get um, get access to that. I think that that would be helpful and, uh, and valuable content for ministry leaders to to consume. Um, <clears throat> so so within this, in in my research of all these discipleship strategies, one of the things that has come up in DMM is. Uh, oftentimes there's a critique of it in in that by people will say by the third by the fourth generation of disciples there is a lot of room for heresy to be to enter in and so what you would say is those cases are uh, maybe situations where the fruit is the primary focus rather than the quality of the disciple that, or are you not seeing you- that at all that would be one way um, to look at it. 
I think it's way more likely to happen if people just select some of the tools. There are some streams of movement, you know, approaches where they uh-huh. only use some of the tools. But if you, in a sense, employ and equip in the whole toolkit, there are far more guards against heresy than there are in, you know, churches that we're much more familiar with. Right, right. Okay, interesting. Now, offline, you shared a topic, and you've touched on this a little bit in in your uh, one of our earlier questions, but this idea of the importance of equipping every disciple to be a contributor spiritually and not merely a consumer, uh, reproducing disciples in simple churches that make multiplying disciples and multiplying simple churches. Um, how there's a couple of questions I want to follow up to that topic with, but first, how do you see that playing out in the Western church culture? Yeah. So I mentioned um, those categories, the word prayer, body life and persecution and suffering that are arenas in which we want to equip every believer like that to, to be self-feeding and so the, the tools may vary place to place somewhat, but you, in every setting, you need to identify tools that are appropriate to that culture or environment for equipping them in that arena. And so um, it, it looks pretty similar. There's, there are some differences, like if you're working with people who are primarily non-literate versus literate people. So there's some, you know, different streams of how that can play out. But generally, it looks the same here in the West as it does everybody else. I mean, everywhere else. We need to equip them to interpret and apply scripture. So there are you know, they have to be exposed to large amounts of scripture. They have to actually practice interpreting and applying them themselves, not just hearing other people do that and so on. So all of the tools that are used are geared around those four general areas. Now, are, are you seeing uh, the this multiplication of disciples idea um, take root or is it, are you finding that it's more difficult for you guys to have it take root in the Western church culture than it does say internationally or, or, or embraced in non-Western cultures? Um, are you seeing it catch on a lot more in those, some of those cultures outside of the global North? There are certainly places that it's easier than North America, but I would say North America isn't the hardest. And every place has its, you know, hard, hard aspects and easy aspects. The challenges. Some of the yeah. things that make us probably harder than average would include um, a very um, strong history or heritage of, you know, other patterns of disciple making or other attitudes toward disciple making. And so you're having to overcome inertia, you know, 
to to replace those pre-existing attitudes and practices. Um, also, I would say our conception of time makes it a little difficult. We have what I might refer to as a, a poverty of time, meaning everybody has filled every available moment of their life with some activity or, you know, something so that they don't think they have, you know, extra time to be able to devote to the various aspects of being a disciple. And so there, some of those things make it harder than average in North America, but we are seeing success and fruit here. It's interesting that even in the most responsive, most fruitful places, it usually takes years before you see significant spikes in the fruit. You know, there's a little bit of a, a run up before you see kind of that hockey stick graph. Uh-huh. And um, we're seeing similar things here, but we there are places now that have turned the corner and we are seeing multiplication that is, you know, acceptable by global standards. So it's not impossible here. It's just a little difficult. Gotcha. So uh, for your approach in a, in a Western culture where historically it's been a, or it seems to have been this uh, maybe more pulpit driven discipleship rather than the congregation going out and making disciples. How are you guys working to uh, overcome that mindset? Or are you just running with what you know works and churches are seeing that impact, that growth, that fruit, that those um, quality multiplying disciples being made and they're saying, hey, we want to be a part of what you're doing. Yeah, more the more the latter, <laughs> um, because it's more difficult to really get these patterns ingrained in someone who's already been a follower of Christ with some other habits than it is to lead people to faith out of the harvest and let them let this be the only thing that they have experienced. So I'm lazy, so I tend to focus more on that. <laughs> you know? And then, you know, letting hopefully holy envy do some of the work in terms of impacting existing Christians. Gotcha. Now how have you guys seen digital tools affect discipleship? Do you feel there's um do you feel that there's a place for digital discipleship and how does that maybe play itself out in, uh, in this discipleship conversation? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. And um, for a long time, I intentionally did not get involved in the digital space because there are so many things that can't be done in the same to the same degree in the digital space. Right. But there are some advantages to the digital space too. So eventually 
you know, I was able to justify in my own mind at least a reason <laughs> to get into that space. Um, I, I sort of look at it as one way to communicate. And so there, you know, there are people that you're more likely to be able to engage in that space than outside of that space. And so it's just, you know, one way to communicate. But it is becoming a bigger and bigger part of how people communicate because mm -hmm. we are becoming more and more a secondary orality society. Um, you know, this is particularly true on the, in the global sense in urban spaces or among, you know, like middle class and above people. But this idea of secondary, secondary orality, meaning people who are literate, they can function in a literate manner, but they by far prefer to gain information and to consume information in a non-literate fashion. So that would include, you know, videos and, you know, the whole story space and um, generally media, you know, media tools. And that's becoming extremely important for a lot of individuals. And so even, even in the evangelism space, um, one, one quote from the book, the only one is that in one of the chapters, I talk about how we need to accommodate in evangelism, referring to, um, you know, how pe people receive and interpret information. We need to accommodate in evangelism and remediate in discipleship. And I think, you know, the same thing can be said in the digital space. If we can, you know, reach them however we, we can reach them for evangelism and then help them learn how to use the media in a more healthy way, then that's part of the, you know, what we need to do in that discipling process. And so there's, you know, a whole branch of missions now called media to disciple making movements that looks at this process. So how do we get the attention of people who are not believers and not only bring them to faith, but bring them to faith in such a way that that journey takes them to the point where they are self-feeding in all of these ways that I talked about, and they're reproducing that in the lives of others. And doing all of that online, all of that through, you know, digital means. And so, you know, that's a, a big area of recent development in the missions world as a whole. Now, having said all of that, there, there are still plenty of things that need to happen offline. But if you're intentional about it, there's a lot you can do online, too.
Mm. So would you say then that digital discipleship is is a tool that can effectively effectively be used for initial engagement in a discipleship relationship that hopefully moves towards face-to-face in-body communal type yeah, discipleship for sure and um yeah uh, I, say- I mean as it, we're a we're a digital agency like that's the space that we work in and i and as we pursue this idea of digital discipleship and figure out what that means for us as a ministry, um, like I, we should be the first ones that are like, yeah, digital everything. But I, I, I just have such a hard time with, um, with a discipleship relationship being completely done all digitally. I think there's incredible opportunity for that initial engagement starting relationships, building relationships uh, that that moves towards a one-on-one interaction. I just, I don't know if I am ready to get on board with a completely digital relationship or completely digital discipleship right. process. Yeah. Um, so I, I just wondered what your thoughts were on that idea. Oh, I agree. That's why when I described Zoomy, I said it's introductory. Mm. All through that Zoomy, you know, material, there are opportunities for them to start interacting with a coach. And then the whole intent then is to get them connected to live, you know, practitioners and coaches. So um, that's, you know, why I talk about it only being the introductory level, not finishing it. Gotcha. And so are you seeing more and more with with the direction our culture and most cultures are going in this uh, this digital space where everybody has a cell phone, they all are engaging online, um, this, uh, are you guys moving more and more towards that initial engagement being in discipleship or it's just, again, it's just another one of the tools that you guys are using. It's there if it, there's need in a specific context or culture. And if not, then you've got these other avenues. Yeah. The, again, every person in every society is different, but mm-hmm. it's an element that we use that we're touching people that we would never touch if we didn't have it. So, you know, I, I view it as important. And interestingly, in this COVID era, um, I think that accelerated the already existing trend of, you know, that increasing where people are doing more and more of life, in a sense, online. Hmm, Interesting. Now, can you share a little bit about Zume and the role that you see that tool playing uh, in this entire digital discipleship conversation? So there are several sort of use cases for that tool as an online training. First, it's great for filtering. Anybody who trains in this type of thing live knows that only a small percentage of the people that you actually equip with introductory training follow through and start living it out and applying it. And so Zoom A makes it possible 
to for people to work through the material on their own. And people who do that and finish it and still want more are people who are well worth investing further attention in, in terms of mentoring and coaching them. Hmm. Um, a second use is reinforcement. So maybe someone's gotten some live training somewhere, but again, we find basically no one really gets it all and understands it all to a degree where they can actually use it and apply it the first time they're exposed to it. For most people, it takes two or three or four times, and then somehow it clicks, right? And so this provides an easy online way for people to get reinforcement of some of the basic tools and principles and concepts. Uh, a third is sort of like training wheels for the trainees to start training others. So we want that to happen. But sometimes as soon as someone gets trained, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're confident in training others. And so Zume, you can take this tool or that tool, or I mean this video or that video to introduce a concept that you don't feel you're quite ready to train others in and you can use it sort of as training wheels until you gain confidence. Another aspect, which is probably kind of obvious is it makes it available to more people. There are lots of people who either because there's, they don't have access to a live trainer. They don't know any live trainers or there aren't people in their location that can train in their language or so on, there are many people who would love to be trained but can't go to a live training. And so this, in a sense, makes it much more widely available. So that's a big, big advantage. Also, it can be used as a follow-up to other digital ministries. So, for mm -hmm. example, if there's an online digital evangelism site, People respond to that, but they're unwilling to give their contact information so that, you know, further follow-up can be done, but they can be routed over if they're not willing to give their information to Zume so they can start, in a sense, training themselves on some of the initial skills that they'll need to become a growing and multiplying disciple. And even in places that don't have good, um, you know, Wi-Fi or whatever, it's also there's an app that you can download that allows you to download all of the content and just run it off of your phone or other device. And so uh, it just makes it available to a lot more people. Hmm. So it's it's a uh, a lot of what Zoom A is is this automation tool so that there's not a uh, weight on the shoulders of your in person teams to do all of that initial engagement, um, and oftentimes to see a big percentage of those people not execute on the training. This can kind of we whittle things down and and get you the those that are going to actually start executing on what they've been trained in. That's right. And at any time they can request a coach and get some, you know, personal attention through the process. That's cool. 
That's awesome. I'm, I'm excited to dive into that a little bit more and, and continue conversations around what you guys are doing. And do you feel like God is is doing some restructuring and reforming and how the church has viewed and defined discipleship over the last maybe hundred years or so? Um, and if so, in what ways do you feel God or do you see God moving and restructuring this mindset around discipleship, the church? Uh, and and how disciples are being made both here and globally. Wow! Yeah, so it's a loaded question. <laughs> it's a it's a big you know thirty thousand foot type of question. Um, so historically, if we look back, say to the Reformation, so the Reformation largely was a reformation around theology, not so much ecclesiology. And it was more about orthodoxy than orthopraxy, right? So orthodoxy being right, right teaching, right? And orthopraxy being right practice. And um, I, I would suggest we even need to go beyond orthopraxy because you can do the right thing for the wrong reason or by the wrong power, right? So I think we need to be concerned for what I call theopraxy. So that's right belief, you know, or right teaching, right practice for the right reason by the right power, right? In the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And so a key part of that is returning to the primacy of hearing from God. And so as we start looking at the structures of the church, right, the ecclesiology of it, we need to reclaim a lot of our heritage that is lost. So we have to reclaim our personal hearing from God and, and being an ambassador, you know, that's the, the elemental level. And then at the family level, the nuclear family level, you know, is kind of the the next level up. So that might be, you know, not just elements, but molecules in a sense for, if we're looking at like chemistry, and then up to the simple church level, and then the city church level, and then the global church level, and <clears throat> reclaiming the awareness of the kingdom at all of those levels. And that's that will, you know, in a sense, do the rest of the job that the Reformation didn't really deal with. Things kind of went south around 300 AD. Right, because that's when Constantine made Christianity the state religion of Rome. And so overnight, you have huge percentage of the population within Roman territories officially made part of the church, even though they weren't born again in any sense. They didn't have any understanding. They were just announced to be Christian. And so then that's where you have the splitting of clergy and laity, right? And so the clergy's job is to 
in a sense, teach and take care of and, you know, coach all these other people who actually aren't even converted. And so going, we have to undo all of that and get back to where we really practice and believe the priesthood of the believer. And so meaning every person is a minister of the kingdom, right? Every person is an ambassador Mm -hmm. and so on. And so that is the, you know, the task of understanding discipleship that we actually need to get back to that point. And so that would be sort of the, the big picture as I see it of what, what God's trying to accomplish in discipleship in our day. Mm. Now, can you share some stories of impact and maybe transformation you are seeing here, maybe a story from here in the West and then a, a story globally through what you're currently working on? Um, yeah, that's, that's uh, hard to think of, um, you know, a specific one that will represent the whole well. So first let me talk about some general categories. This, this idea of being, you know, of the priesthood of the believer one of the upshots of that is it's men and women. It's old people. It's children. It's rich. It's poor. It's the kingdom impacting every aspect of life and society. It's all being redeemed and engaged with the kingdom. And so the church is all of us stewarding the opportunities we have wherever we are 24 seven. And so that means we're touching everywhere. So one story I really like from here in the States is um, a group working with high school students in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And so they started using these approaches and in just the first year, they had 85 groups formed by high schoolers for high schoolers in the public high school in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Oh, cool. these, these kids were multiplying where they were with who they, you know, with who they knew and so on. And so, you know, this type of that can happen everywhere that can happen in every business that can happen in every sphere of society that can happen again, young, old, rich, poor, it doesn't matter. That should be the norm. And, you know, so that would be one example that would um, in a sense illustrate that for the U S globally. The, uh, you know, I don't know where to pick. <laughs> it's a big world. <laughs> but um, I think it's exciting what, how much hunger there is in places where we don't have enough people doing this live in person. So, for example, uh, in the Zume world, this online world, 
we've been translating it into a lot of languages. So I think currently we have like 33 or 34 up. We hope to have 40 up by the end of the year. Um, one of the languages that's not yet finished is Urdu. But it just so happens that, you know, there are a fair number of English speakers in Pakistan. And so even though we don't have it in the national language yet, just from what's available in English, we're getting hundreds of people per day from Pakistan accessing the site, going through the training in English. There's that much hunger. And we haven't even promoted it in Pakistan. We haven't tried to. It's just been purely word of mouth and has happened almost overnight where we have these huge numbers of people. And so to me, it just demonstrates how much desire there is for this type of, you know, equipping. Mm-hmm. People are hungry for it. And um, so that, that to me, says we need more of us providing that, whether it's live or whether it's digital. But everywhere, there are people extremely hungry for it. Mm, that's awesome. Well, Curtis, this has been uh, really beneficial to me. I think it's going to provide a lot of value to our listeners. Um, if people want to learn more about what you're doing, what you're doing with MetaCamp 2414, your book, Zoom A, how can they get a hold of you? Yeah, the I'm usually pretty responsive to email, actually. I'm a, kind of a dinosaur that way. <laughs> and um, my email address is obeygc2 at gmail.com. So that's O-B-E-Y-G-C-2 at gmail.com. All right. And are you okay if we put that in the show notes? I am. All right. I'll put that in the show notes for everybody. I'll also link to your book and all of the other uh, ministries you guys are a part of and partnering with. Uh, Can I pray for you and all that you're doing? Yes, please. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Father, I just lift up Curtis. I pray that you would uh, be with him as he leads MetaCamp in 2414 and um, promotes his book and and is on the leadership team of Zume. Father, I pray that you would just um, bless him and, and everything that he's working in and uh, that you would give direction and guidance and wisdom. Um, Father, that you would uh, bring fruit out of the work that they're doing. I thank you so much for Curtis's obedience to uh, obey your call to go and make disciples and uh, for his passion in, in doing it in the um, the way that you have outlined in scripture. Father, I pray that uh, you would just continue to do amazing things through him and, um, and, and the ministries that he's working in and partnered with. Father, uh, we love you. Thank you so much for everything that you do for us, the things that you invite us into, uh, the friendship and partnership that you've um, invited us into. Father, um, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Curtis, thank you so much for being on the show, man. I appreciate it. Glad to be here.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Ministry Grow Show. If you enjoyed it, we'd appreciate it if you rate and or review us on the iTunes store. And make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you have a story to share with other ministry directors and pastors, or know someone who would be an incredible guest on the Ministry Grow Show, let us know. We love connecting with ministry executives and sharing their wisdom and insight with our audience. Just send us an email at info at reliantcreative.org. And lastly, if you need help telling your ministry story, we would love to share how we can help in that process. Check out Reliant Creative at reliantcreative.org. See you next time.